I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, to chapter 5. We'll study verses 9 through 11. This is picking up where we've left off. The book of Romans is a letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, a very diverse church. And within it, he describes doctrine around which believers might draw together in common faith. And specifically here, in chapters 4 and 5, we are in the midst of what some commentators have called the book of justification by faith. Last we met, we were in the verses immediately preceding this, where Paul describes that it was while we were still weak and sinful and enemies of God, that's when Christ died for us. That we didn't clean ourselves up and come to him, but rather he loved us at our worst and died for us. And so we pick up there. Hear the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word, Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. May he help us to understand it and to receive it in faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures, that you are no silent God. O Lord, that if we would hear your voice, we need only to open your word Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding this morning. Lord, that you would minister to us by your spirit. Lord, that your wisdom would be poured into our hearts. Lord, that we would see Jesus and all of his love for us. Lord, that we would receive him and all of his mercy. That we would rejoice in him and all of his grace. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Doctrine is for life. What we believe matters because if it is true, it changes everything. It changes how we see our work, how we understand our relationships. It changes how we relate to our family members and to our friends and to our neighbors. It changes how we understand ourselves. It changes how we see our failures and how we experience them. It changes how we endure our sufferings and hold up under them. It helps us in the midst of our pains. It gives sweetness to our joys and it gives us expectant hope for our futures. But friends, why is that? Well, it's because what we believe changes Everything because it speaks to where we are all ultimately going and who we will face 
in that day. It tells us about who we are before the Lord our God and the things we believe, if it is biblical, establish for us either hope or terror. And so, friends, whenever the apostle writes to the church in Rome, he's aware of this. And he knows that people don't just live simple lives that seem like they're characters from a child's book, always playing and happily laughing and everything is fine and there's a bow in the clouds and the sun is shining. He knows that people live in hard times, that there are valleys that have the weight of the shadow of death upon people. He knows that people hurt in their bodies. He knows that people's souls grieve loss and that they have horrible fears and anxieties about whether it's uh, the next day and what they will do or how they will care for their families in the future, whether it's that they have anxiety about what to do next. And so Paul writes to these people, and specifically in verses 9 through 10, he is writing to believing Christians to people who have received Jesus Christ and who themselves know the grace of justification. And what he wants us to see is that what we believe regarding Jesus changes everything. It matters tremendously because what it does is tell us how we stand before our creator and the God who we will give an account to. And so there are three things I want us to see this morning from the passage, or study, if you will. Verse 9, I want us to study salvation. Salvation. And then in verse 10, reconciliation. And then in verse 11, exaltation. Exaltation to worship or to rejoice. Salvation, reconciliation, and exaltation. As we come to verse 9, we are in the context of verses 6 through 8, where Paul describes the grace of Christ who died for guilty, sinful people. But I want to tell you, friends, whenever Paul writes about those guilty, sinful people that were enemies of God, he's not speaking in generalizations. It's not an abstract verse of theory, but it's for you. It's for us. What does he say? He says, We, we, we know that our old self, that's what he's speaking about. It's us. He's speaking about us as individuals before the face of the God of heaven. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love, verse 8, for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us us. And so this morning in verse 9, I want to tell you, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me and he's speaking to our church. This isn't just for the ancient church in Rome. This is for the church today. This is for every Christian who's put their faith in Jesus and has been justified by his grace. And so in verse 9, it's in that context, the context of the death of Christ for sinners that he writes, since, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore in scripture, there is always a reason that it is therefore, if you understand my meaning. It has purpose, and it is the, la- the language of logic, if you will. 
He's bringing you from one thing to another thing and saying that these have a relation logically. As if he were to say, because, because we have been justified. Since therefore, we have now been justified. And so this is the ground of it. It is the Christian who is in Jesus, in the grip of the justifying grace of Christ. And you may be visiting with us and you say, well, pastor, I hear you using this language, justification. It sounds quite theological. I say, yes, it is, friends. It's a word that's in the Bible that's full of meaning. Full of meaning. And to put it very briefly, it means that the obedience and the righteousness of Jesus is accounted to you. Just like a bank transfer. Like if I were to send you money, 1,000 euros from Pastor Bullock to your bank account, and that it's there for you, to enjoy and to use that the righteousness of Christ is accounted to you. It means that, but it also means you are declared not guilty for your sins. You are declared not guilty for your sins before the face of God so that he would look on you and say, not only not guilty, but you are righteous in Christ. And so he says, Paul, in verse 9, since therefore we are or have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, he has two ideas of time. It's the now and then it's the time to come. We have now been something that you are, and he's saying to Christians, if you know Christ, you have been declared righteous, you have been reconciled to God, and you will be. Look at the language again. You have been now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. These two things, and it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But I want us to consider it in some depth. The reason why Paul is speaking about now and then later is because that's how we live, isn't it? I mean, you and I, we experience the things that are happening at this very moment, the way that we feel. We experience the weather in the day. We experience the relationships that we have. We enjoy the things uh, that are on the plate at the table when we take bites of a meal or drinks from a cup. That's the now, and the things that we are aware of now are important. But how many of you don't live with a thought for tomorrow? Of course you do. Have any of you any worries, any concerns, any anxieties? Honestly. Your pastor says, yes, I do. I don't know about you, but I would expect that you're the same. It is now and tomorrow And Paul is speaking about that because the things that happen to us now make us think about tomorrow. The problems of today then bring the fears of our hearts concerning tomorrow. And that's who he's speaking to is the Christian living now in light of what the future will bring. But he's speaking very specifically. And the way that he speaks about now and what will come is in the light of justification. 
because we have now been justified by his blood. You see that last few words, this phrase, describes the way we are justified. And so I'll ask you, how are you justified, Christian? Well, if you're sound and you believe the Bible, you would say that you have been justified by faith in Christ. And I'll say, yes, amen, praise be to God. But that's not what Paul is touching upon here. That's true, but that's not what he's touching upon. How are you justified? He's telling you here in verse 9, Christian, that it is by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. That's important. Because he's describing what justification is in the way it works. Whenever the Bible talks about blood... It usually does so in some context, doesn't it? So I invite you to think with the mind of a Bible reader, where does the Bible often talk about blood? At the altar of sacrifice. At the altar of sacrifice, that's where blood is. It's poured out and there's a purpose for it. And so what Paul is telling us here is that our justification can only be had, we can only be declared righteous in Christ by his blood poured out for us as a sacrifice. Now the Bible is really clear about this. Jesus is the spotless lamb who was slain. He is the one who was put to death on our behalf. Because we understand in the Bible from the testimony of the book of Hebrews chapter 9, 22, That there cannot be any remission without blood being spilt. Without blood there is no remission of sin. There's no removal of guilt. And Paul is saying, friends, because you're now justified, that is because of Jesus' blood poured out for you. Now, why do you need a sacrifice? It's because you and I are sinful people. Every pilgrim that brought an animal to be slain in the temple and upon an altar came because of the weight of their guilt. They brought an animal with them. And this animal would be a substitute that a priest would take and put to death Because the person who brought it deserved that death. The animal is being punished in the place of the pilgrim. You understand? And Paul is saying to the ancient church and to us, you're justified because Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. He died because you deserved to die. In your place, he died. Your blood was demanded and he freely gave his own. That's what he's saying. But this is larger. It's not just half a verse. It's not that you've just now been justified by his blood. Christ, the specific price for the debt of the punishment of every single sin I have committed, but for every single sin I will commit. He goes on. 
In verse 9, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You have been saved all of your sins. You have committed, have been punished in the body of Christ and the outpouring of his blood. And every sin that you will commit shall also, shall also be covered by his blood. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Christian, I understand where you are and I understand the pain and the anguish and the guilt and the weight that you feel because of your sin. And I understand, Christian, how you feel the the ugliness of your sin and how your sin weighs on you and how your enemy, Satan, whispers into your ear and says to you, you're still guilty. God can't possibly forgive a Christian who would do what you have done. And he's saying... Jesus already died for those sins. You are already forgiven of the sins you have committed and that you will commit. Jesus' blood was poured out for everything that came before. And Jesus' blood will also atone for all the things that you will go on to do. And so Christian... You are secure, is what he's saying. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If when he died it satisfied the Father, whenever you believed on him, it still satisfies the Father today so he's saying to the ancient Roman church don't worry about tomorrow Jesus died for you his blood was spilt for all of your sins and you are still in him by faith holy righteous unguilty Loved by the Father, you are secure. Do you ever struggle with it? Do you ever struggle with that, Christian? Where you think on your sins and the things of your life and and the things that you've fallen into, even as a believing Christian, and the things that you need to repent of and the things that you need to turn away from, and those things weigh down on you, and you think to yourself, I've I've done it, I've made a shipwreck of this thing. I'm, I'm so far from him, he could never love me. Hear this loudly, Christian. If you believe in Jesus, those sins that you're struggling with now and the guilt that you feel now was on him and he's dealt with it for you. You are secure in the righteousness of Christ and even secure before the throne of the God of heaven. And he is not angry and wrathful against you because his wrath has been poured out on his son. That's Paul's word. Remember I opened the sermon and I said doctrine is for life. 
It's for every single day, every moment, every struggle, every striving, every hurt, every pain, every joy, every success, every victory. To tell you the truth of the testimony of the cross of Jesus, that Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you. In verse 10, Paul continues, and we see a further explanation of the wonder of the grace of justification. And he says, almost repeating himself from previous verses, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Did you hear it? Read it once more. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we, will, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Paul's turning to not only are we, are we right with the Lord, It's not only that we have questions of, is he not going to pursue us and pour his wrath out on us and crush us? Not only are we no longer enemies, but rather, can we be with him in his presence? Does he care for us? It's the question, not only of legal standing, but of relationship. Do you understand? Reconciliation is the language of relationship where two people come to one another and the relationship is repaired or renewed and restored. That's what he's speaking of. And he's saying in verse 10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, how much more can we hope now that we are reconciled to have salvation in him? Do you understand what he's saying? I'll break it down for you. He's saying in the moment where your life began to come back toward the Father, in the moment where you came into a faith relationship with Jesus and were received by him, you were still his enemy. It's not that you just didn't like each other. Not that, I don't know, maybe you can relate to this. It's not my case. We have a wonderful neighbor, but maybe you have a neighbor and you just think, well, we sort of have a cold war. And we kind of have a, a wall between us and he stays on his side of the wall, I stay on my side of the wall. We're kind of enemies, but we're, we're not really reconciled. We just sort of are quiet to one another, so we stay apart. Now the word here that's used means active enemies where the heart of the person is rebelling against the one or actively attacking or actively opposing It's the language of two opposing sides of an active and hot battle where the sinner sins against God as a rejection and a denial of his rule and hatred of him and the other side, the God of heaven, looks down and with righteous wrath intends to strike and destroy. And Paul says, when your relationship was like that, you were reconciled to him by the death of Christ. While we were still in our trespasses, while we still had mouths that profaned, insulted, and cursed God, while our hearts 
hated God, while we had hands that worked against his truth in violence, while that was real for us, Christ died for us and reconciled us to the Father. With nothing that we brought to the table but sin, with nothing, not a word of reception, not a happy thought or a kind emotion or affection, it was in that context that we were reconciled by the blood of Christ. He's saying if if that can be true, if that is wonderfully true for you, that you did nothing but sin and that he reconciled you, how much more can you hope in him now that you have been reconciled? How much more can you believe that you will be saved by the life of Christ if you have been reconciled already? Again, I'm telling you, friends, he's writing to Christians He's saying if he could love you at your worst, he's loving you now within his grace. And this is often the thing that Christians think. They think, you know, yes, I understand that I've been saved. And yes, I have faith in Jesus. But why would the Lord care about me? Why would he want a reconciled relationship with me? Why would he allow me intimacy or nearness to him? How could I ever do that? I mean, think of what I did last week. And I'm not soft-peddling sin at all. Rather, I'm preaching grace. Think of what I did last week. Think of what I thought on the way to church. Think of the thing that I've said. Look at the filth of who I am. And Christians sometimes think and sometimes feel that in their sins and because of the weight of what they've done, that the Lord would want to have nothing to do with them. Yes, they hope in the salvation and they sort of believe in that, but really that relationship The daily intimacy with God, they think the Lord wants nothing of that. Like a husband and wife who remain married yet have such a division within the household. Paul is saying, the Lord reconciled you in Christ and clothed you in Christ. And through the life and the obedience and the sacrifice of Jesus accomplish this at your worst. So that now Christian hear me listen to this. In Jesus you can be brought near to the father like a child on the lap of his daddy. Who enjoys the security and the warmth of the embrace of a mother. Christian you are loved by God as Christ is loved by God. You are blessed. And restored to enjoy his word. Think of it in these terms. The life of Jesus should say to you, Christian, what you should expect of your relationship with the Father. Think of the baptism of the Lord. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased Every Christian in Jesus Christ who have received him by faith may know not only that your heavenly father loves you, that he's pleased in you, 
and that he's like every single parent at a sporting function or at a musical recital or at anything where they're supporting their child, shouting, that's my son, that's my daughter. It's the kind of love that he has for you. Or think on it like this. The Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the desert and his temptations and the attacks of Satan. Nothing to eat. Nothing to drink. Jesus communed with the Father and had the care of the Father even in the time of this horrible attack and testing. Jesus was held secure by the Father. That is yours, Christian, if you've been reconciled to him by faith. That in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your sins, he's not deaf to the things that are happening to you and your struggles. And he will give you strength in those times to resist everything that your heart, your flesh would have you do and the temptations that Satan would just simply say to you, do it, do it, do it. Maybe it also means to you, and I think it certainly does, Christian, that as you think on the Lord in Gethsemane, under the weight of mortal fear, trembling in prayer, the anguish of his soul, knowing that his hands and feet would be pierced, his brow would be pierced, his back shredded in the wrath of God poured out upon him, He went to the Father in prayer ahead of his suffering. As the Son of God, overwhelmed by the stress of what's coming. That means to you, Christian, that in the worst, most stressful, most terrifying, anxiety-ridden and stress-inducing circumstances of your life, if you know the Lord and have been reconciled to him by Jesus Christ, The Father hears your prayers and is with you to walk with you even if into the hands of wicked men to put chains upon you and to sacrifice you and to pierce you through and even unto death he's with you. The intimacy of Christ has been given to you Christians so that you have a reconciled relationship with the Father. Not an alien not an enemy, but beloved. And that started when you and I were completely unlovely, if not for his grace. Verse 11, we come to the third and the last point of our passage. He says, more than that, more even than the assurance of the salvation that we will have in his life, He says, we also rejoice, exalt, praise God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me ask you, Christians, in in the course of life, what is the temptation of the soul when difficulties happen? Or when our doubts intrude and we feel as if our faith is so weak and faltering or we think on our sins and we're overwhelmed, what's the temptation and where do we find ourselves? Way down in a pit, don't we? Sometimes. 
as your pastor, having counseled some of you, many of you, as a Christian and a person myself, those things press in on us. It should never be said that there's a depressed Christian, but that's the reality of who we are. We're a people in weak flesh. We experience depression. It's a reality. It's a portion of the weakness of our flesh. Do you struggle with it? Have you ever struggled with it? Whenever hard things happen, when the hard times come, when the discouragements and the guilt press upon us, we're tempted to simply say, does God still love me? Can God still love me? Is it even possible with what I've done? And oftentimes, because of the weight of our sins, we indulge the foolishness of doubt, and we try to convince ourselves that we don't feel anything for the Lord. We can't possibly be his. The Apostle Paul in verse 11, in light of this justification and this reconciliation, he says, even in those seasons, even much more than that, we also rejoice. Praise the Lord in the midst of these hardships. Praise our God in the midst of the hard times of depression. We have this grace to simply know that we are held by Him and loved by Him and that we remain His. We can praise Him where the world would be down in the depth without any hope, with no ladder of coming to the top and to feel simply overwhelmed because they are sinking under the weight of it all. Paul says, no, the Christian can also rejoice. No matter what life brings, no matter what hardship comes, no matter what guilt or success would distract us from the Lord, Paul is saying, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have been forgiven because your sins have been atoned for. And he loves you and wants nearness with you. And it's as if Paul is telling us, how could you not praise God because of that? How could your heart not explode to the Lord? Even in those times, we can rejoice. We can be joyful even whenever it seems like the light of happiness has been extinguished. Our hearts can and are sustained. Because today we are children of God. Yes, weak, failing, and falling, we are still held in the hands of our loving Father who is faithful and who is strong and who saves and who will keep us. Can the Christians say, Amen, Hallelujah, praise the Lord God Almighty. This is how martyrs can die and Christians can suffer a testifying death. This is how the Christian can endure seasons, overwhelming seasons, yet lean on the loving chest of the Father and know that He is secure, that she is beloved. And so, brother and sister in Christ, I call to you, and I want to tell you once more, doctrine matters. What you believe changes everything. And the truth of the Bible is doctrine for life, for struggling, for cancer, for loss. 
It's truth and assurance and joy even in the face of death. Will you cling to Christ? Will you cling to him and rejoice in what is yours? If you're with us this morning and you're hearing all this and you say, wow, that sounds wonderful, but I don't have any of that. Almost like a foreign language. I want to hold out Christ to you this morning and say simply that the only thing, the only thing we are called to, that we might be saved and be beloved by him is to put our faith in him. To lean on him and to trust him, to say, Christ, I need you because I'm a guilty sinner and I know you died for sinners. Would you have faith in him and receive the salvation that he freely gives? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures and for the teaching of our standing that we have in Christ Jesus. That we're loved because you love him. Oh Lord, that he died for our sins, that we can stand in your presence. Father, we love you. We pray that you would strengthen our church, make us to be a people who would rejoice in everything in Christ Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.